Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosamorsel wants to classify all AI-generated robocalls as illegal. However, effectively banning these calls, along with annoying text messages, poses technical hurdles. The larger challenge falls to the back-end analytic firms who make these transactions for the mobile carriers. Who are the firms who really do the work? Who will help make the unwanted calls and messages disappear? From reoccurring robocalls and invasive spam text messages, consumers face a daily barrage of communications they may not have asked for, nor do they trust. Regulators have scrambled to address rising complaints about these unwanted intrusions, but the persistence of fraud has undermined consumer faith in our communications infrastructure. Why do these issues persist in today's complex digital landscape? And how are regulators and policymakers working to balance privacy, consumer trust, and fraud prevention? Today's guest is Dave Stewart. He has thought deeply about these questions as Senior Vice President for Somos, a global provider of telephone numbers and identity services. Dave works to streamline and restore trust in the information technology that underlies our telecommunications. He joins me today to discuss the state of telecommunications, consumer trust, and mitigating strategies. Why those calls and texts are still annoying, you now know someone who's working to fix it. Dave, thanks for being a guest today on Explain to Shane. My pleasure, Shane. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. It's always fun to talk to you because I learn so much stuff. So you um, do have been worked, you have a whole history of working in you know, kind of the the back end side of the telecommunication space. It's all the things that make telecom feel wonderful, even though everybody thinks it's just their carrier, whoever they get, you know, when they, they go walk in the store or however they get their advice these days. But uh, you and I were talking in a couple months ago and it really piqued my interest on, I was like, why can we not get rid of robocalls? It's, it's everyone's nemesis. Everybody in the government I know who has the ability to do something on this has tried to do something on it. And it, it it ended up in you being on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about what is going on. I'm going to let you kind of do the layered conversation because there's a lot going on here, but I think the real key is how important, not so much the device, but the idea of your number being an identity and then how to protect that. And then how we manage that because it's also you know, a lot of people are using that number for different things. So go, you can tell us all about that now. (laughs) Yeah. So firstly, I think we both share some background in our, you know, careers where we've worked on things and you try and explain it to family and friends and they either just don't get it or their eyes glazed over. I think I'm finding for the first time when I talk to people, family and friends are at, you know, dinner parties and they ask you what you do and trying to address robocall, robospam, all of a sudden people want to buy you a beer. Well, actually, their first question Keep is, going. Why, right. can't you, why can't you fix it faster and would a beer help, right? Right, yeah. Um, but you're absolutely right. I think today our telephone numbers have become our personal identity. They're our connection to our digital life. And I think we kind of get that conceptually, but to bring that down to earth, when you sign up for a new service online today, it's your telephone number they look for, right? You used to sign up yep. for a service, it was your email. Now it's your telephone number and... Businesses behind that asking for that information are validating that you're a legitimate consumer, um, they're getting some kind of a profile on you, and this is helping them address fraud, but also reward good behavior, right? So if you have a good track record, that those records are attached to your telephone number. 
um, the using that to verify who you are, and, and not just when you sign up, but you know more often now when you're signing into your account, you're asking for second factor authentication. Again, they're using your telephone number to do that. And you know we see this in the US, but it's the same across the world. You know, telephone numbers are the one ubiquitous. You know, it's a common format of the numbers around the world, and we're seeing more and more it's becoming your de facto identity, and it connects you with your digital world. Um, there are new technologies now where people will say maybe telephone numbers are becoming less important. If you look at over-the-top uh, applications like WhatsApp, where your telephone number is not really present, but behind that, the telephone number is your identity, and it's being used to connect you with your identity. So it, it is becoming that. Key to all the digital connections we make, whether it's to friends, family, to businesses, is trust. And trusting that that telephone number, it is who you say you are, you have some kind of a track record behind that, trust is critical to making this digital world work. So I, I would argue that, uh, and I think many would, would agree, that we're at a point where our reliance on communications is at a peak. Um, you can look specifically at the pandemic for our work lives, but I think generally we become more reliant on those communications than we've ever been before. And at the same time, trust in those communications is probably at the lowest level it's been in a long time. And there's some statistics around that. Uh, there's research that says that in the US, about 55% of the people trust telecommunications. That's about the mid-tier for other countries around the world. Um, and we as consumers are all very aware of this, right? So, um, but it, it impacts businesses as well. Businesses make about 8 billion calls to their customers a month. And only one of those gets answered. One in 10 of those gets answered. 70% of people wouldn't answer a call. I'm sure you and I are in this category if we don't recognize the number. And about the same number of people report missing important calls. Yeah. So we've got this this trust factor that's really an issue right now. And it impacts us as consumers, but it also impacts the efficacy of communication from businesses to their customers as well. Yeah, I think it, the phone number has an outsized role that we just really haven't recognized. And it is interesting how we've made the jump from email in the web presence as we become more mobile-centric and app-centric that that number is now the, the core value. Yeah, and, I, you know, mobile commerce and, and fintech, a lot of that is relying on mobile transactions. They're, they're using your telephone number as your identity, not just on a fixed line or on your laptop. Uh, you know, those lines are blurring and the telephone number transcends all, all those networks. So what I know, let's go really to the, the, the irritation topic that you brought up, which is the, you know, the robocalls and the fact that, like, you know, I actually did just answer a phone call because I didn't know who it was. And this guy just started talking to me. I go, I'm sorry, who is this? <laughs> and he was just sort of like, why would you have answered the phone? And I was like, because it's a 703 and I thought my mom, you know, I just thought I would check. But you, then I probably won't answer the next 10 numbers that don't come up. But, it you know, it was a local number. But, of course, that's what they do a lot, too, is it looks local. So you think it's somebody that you might know. Yes, yeah, that and they call it spoofing, right? So put a originating number into a call. Uh, this technology that enables that, and there's actually very legitimate use cases for that. Uh, if you're a business operating here in the US, but you have a call center operating out of India, you want them to be able to call using your number, right? But those technologies in the wrong hands uh, can be used in nefarious ways, and we see that often. And you, and you know, you mentioned that I had a call yesterday from my doctor's office. 
Didn't say who it was. I didn't have the number in my, in my phone, but I said verified. And I've had a couple of those calls now. This one I actually answered, and it was my doctor's office. But we, we, Who, so we who verifies it? Who, who would verify that? So, great question. Um, and, and maybe that gets to the core of, of what we're talking about here. The difficulty of solving this issue, it is complex. So firstly, when we talk about the public switch telephone network, PSTN, everyone sort of thinks of that as a, a monolith of telephone network that's, that, that we call each other on. But it's, it's really it's a tapestry of networks. It's individually owned, more often than not run for profit, uh, networks that interconnect between one another. So often when you're making a call from the West Coast to the East Coast, that call can transverse two, three, four, even five networks sometimes. So it is this sort of tapestry. And the, remember, the telecom industry is a for-profit industry, obviously, but it's built on volumes, right? Um, you know, often we're talking, we, you'll hear the term in telecom, quad one. And what they're referring to is either a cost or a revenue that's 0.00001 per transaction. So we're talking about large volumes, small individual dollar values, but at the end of the day, the industry is built on volumes. And a lot of these uh, network operators, their whole revenue model is built on, on volume. So, you know, you talk to them about weeding out the bad guys, trying to identify those bad fraudulent calls, but at the same time, letting the legitimate calls, the real businesses get through to the consumers. Sometimes it's a needle in a haystack trying to find those. And every one that they shut down impacts their revenue. And often if they get a false positive, now they're impacting a business that is legitimately trying to get a hold of their customer. So, so when I say report as junk, is that helpful? Like who does that go to? So, so today that is captured by the mo- your mobile network operator. Okay. Uh, 7726 is the industry code for it, which mm-hmm. if you look at your keypad, it spells spam. Oh. So you're able clever. to put, you're able to record it as a spam call or a spam message. The mobile network operator collects that information and they share it with various different players like firewall providers to give them intelligence to try and weed this stuff out. They build reputations around those numbers. Um, but here's, here's where it, Here's another element where it gets tricky, right? So beauty is in the eye of the beholder. What you consider spam might not be consi- what I would consider spam. Or it might be I might have signed up for a service six months ago. Now no longer do I want that information. And if I report it as spam, it gets captured and it gets recorded against the originator of that message. So if I type in stop, which is what I usually do, when I realize I've originated it, like I was interested and now I'm done, and then I just type in stop. But that's just going back to the person who sent me the message, I would think. So that, that's, a far more, uh, that's a far more polite way of doing it, right? And, and <laughs> stop me. works, and, and, and not to get too much in the weeds, but it, you know, that's, a, that's a function of short codes. Okay. That, uh, and they must allow that to happen. Um, but not everyone does that, right? So uh, one of the biggest industries that's impacted this is a debt collectors, right? So if you're getting a message or a call from a debt collector, it's very easy just to say this is spam. Well, it's, it's not. And those guys are getting knocked off the network very often. I don't so, think you're going to get any empathy for anyone for that ex- that whole example there. But I get it. 
Right. Well, you know, and they're representing businesses that have provided services and not getting paid for them, so they want some of the you know the money back. So there's a that's the thing. There's always many sides to this. You layer that on top of a very complex network, um, and to add to that, messaging is not the same infrastructure. It's, it doesn't operate the same way as consumers. We get calls, we get text messages, all to our same handset. But to the point you were making at the top of the call, it's it's the back-end infrastructure that's very different. Uh, and, and with messaging, it's regulated in a different way to what voice is. And so the complexity sort of builds on itself and solving this problem is not easy. At the end of the day, the way we'll solve for this is through partnership between the government and the industry, finding ways to try and solve this for the longer term and finding a way to balance a lot of these uh, agendas and uh, objectives that exist. Is that what's going on now? It's going on now. It's been going on for a while. Uh, it takes time. So in 2019, Congress passed the TRACED Act, uh, uh, Telephone Robo Robocall Abuse Criminal Enforcement and Deterrence Act. This gave the FCC new tools to fight a lot of these unwanted and often illegal robocalls. And since then, the FCC has been very active. Um, I think as of September last year, there were seven reports and orders. There were eight notices of proposed rulemaking, three notice of inquiries. This is far more activity than we've seen uh, out of the FCC in terms of regulation. Um, but it, a great example of the partnership that exists is under the Trace Act, the industry got together and created this standard you may have heard called Stir Shaken. Firstly, Stir Shaken is proof that us telecom geeks have a sense of humor. Um, <laughs> I was going to give it to a staff member. That's usually the game that they play at midnight is like, you know, how can we name this something that's funny? But yeah. Yeah, Very well, James Bond, like it. Was it was pretty creative, right? So mm -hmm. secure telephone identity revisited, pretty straightforward, and then signature-based handling of certain information using tokens. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have gotten there, so kudos no, to you. No, and, um, and look, what what this, what this the industry did is they really took a, a proven technology, di digital certificates, something that you and I have had experience with, right, in terms of on the web, taking the same thing and then applied it to telephony. Um, and it, it's... It, it was put into place, it's had some effect, it's been expensive, there's a lot of critics of it, but at the end of the day, it has hasn't had an effect on robocalls. If you look at some of the statistics, first half of last year, there was about a 20% reduction in robocalls over the same period of the year before. Uh, it's not, there's no silver bullet. Uh, quite often these things are, you know, plugging a hole and you've got to move to the next one um, and you've got to keep working on these. And, and Shane, I've heard you say in the past, you know, uh, regulation solves for problems, not for technology. So a really good example is under, under Stir Shaken, the originating uh, service provider, either for a text or a voice message, for Stir Shaken, it's for voice. Uh, they have to attest to the person that's originating that call. Right? And there's three levels of attestation. I have no idea who this person is. I mentioned before, often these networks are connected and sometimes you'll be getting a call in from a network you really don't know who originated it. You should say that, right? That's C-level attestation. So that's when it just says unknown. Or like, unknown. You know, right. Yeah, okay. Exactly, right? B-level, I know who this person is. And then A-level, which is obviously the highest level, I know who this person is and I know they have the rights to use of this number. 
And so I think of like businesses, then that's when somebody, when I look at it, I think, oh, okay, say Alexandria something. And I'm like, I, I probably, I may not want to answer it, but at least I know who it is. You, your choice is yours, right? And at least you're informed <laughs> at the end of right, the day. And, exactly. And what's key is that you're being informed with information that you can trust. Yeah, okay. Right? And and this this partnership between sort of regulation and the industry, uh, the the stir shaken standard said, look, you figure out how to how to vet that enterprise. I, we don't want to say exactly how you operate it, but you need to vet it and you need to give it these three levels of attestation. So originating service providers, providing these voice services for their businesses, figure out how they're going to vet those services. Now, the, the problem is when that call gets terminated, primarily on a mobile handset, so over the mobile networks, there's three or four big ones out there today, they're the ones that determine also how it's presented to you. Do they present a tick? Do they present a name? The stir shaken standard gives capabilities to say, what's the call for? So the technology exists to say, Shane, this is your doctor's office and here's why I'm calling and there's a tick, tick mark to say it's been verified. That technology exists. But you and I were saying earlier, it, we don't see those today, right? So again, you, get, you give flexibility to businesses on how they present that call at the terminating end. You give businesses the flexibility on how they vet those enterprises, how they attest to who they are. And it falls apart because there's fragmentation. Depending on which network you're, you're on, which mobile network you're on, they're going to treat it differently to the other networks. Is there one particular group that works more with who I'm going to call the bad guys, the annoying people that I shouldn't think about? You may not want to say them out loud, but maybe I can guess. So... <laughs> so there's there's a there's an industry association called the Traceback Group, and they get the reports of these bad calls, and then they follow that tapestry of networks all the way through to where the origination is, and they put a report and say you've been originating this bad traffic, and the FCC has actually asked the Traceback Group, and they've done this twice now, to publish that list. So. Not only is there more regulation coming out of the FCC, uh, they also recently uh, issued a report that lists all of the enforcement, but they're also publicly shaming these folks. So, again, this sort of partnership between the industry and, and the government is, is, is starting to get momentum. It's starting mm -hmm. to have effect. So which, which piece of this pie is it that you are directly working on? So, uh, you know, we talk about this partnership between industry and, and the government. Um, at SOMOS... Uh, we play a, a critical role along with a lot of others in here, but Somos is a kind of a unique company. We were set up as a non-profit, originally a non-profit between the major carriers to administer the toll-free registry, right? They wanted toll-free numbers to be independently managed and we were set up as a non-profit independent of them. Fast forward seven or eight years later, uh, we continue to operate as a non-profit we uh, now operate the North American numbering plan. So SOMOS is responsible for managing and administering all telephone numbers in North America. So you're doing uh, LNP, local number portability? Yep. We don't do number portability. Mm -hmm. We do the distribution of the numbers. So we make okay. the numbers available out in the market. There's a mm -hmm. separate function for porting numbers between different networks. Um, but we manage the number ranges. We make those numbers available to carriers to be able to provide it to their customers. 
So every, every commercial service we try and put out there is all about trying to bring trust back into telecom. We do this in a... So we're, we're trusted by the FCC to run the North American numbering plan. We work very diligently with them to help keep them informed. Often they'll come to us and ask for advice on issues and we try and counsel them on our perspective on that. Um, so we're trusted by the FCC and we're truly neutral. So we don't provide voice services. We don't provide messaging services. We're all about number information and providing that information in a way to bring trust back into telecoms. And because we remain as a non-profit, we don't have shareholders. We're not looking to generate a return every quarter well, we're not looking for an exit. So we're here really to serve the stakeholders, which are the industry, the consumers, the businesses, the FCC, and our employees. What? So where do um, what we call VoIP calls fit in on this? So it seems like a lot of this is network-driven, but you also have some of that now that is not your traditional carrier traffic. Yeah, so it, it's it's... It's not regulated in the same way as traditional telephony networks. Is that a loophole when it comes to some of the things that are challenging? And then in other words, the, word, the stuff you don't, the calls I don't want to pick up? I think it's, uh, so, so VoIP is, a, is the underlying technology that's really expanded the capabilities and the usage of communication. So much like this technology, many technologies is designed for a, a very good use and opening up access to communications networks through the VoIP interconnects, turning it into an application as opposed to a traditional telephone opens up all sorts of opportunities. I mean, every time you and I order an Uber and that Uber driver wants to text you to let you know where they are, they're using a VoIP connection into the network to get to your phone. So VoIP has opened up all sorts of possibilities over the years. Much like a lot of these technologies, there are opportunities for people to leverage that in nefarious ways. Um, and there is a lot of discussion underway right now on the Hill about what additional regulation is needed over VoIP, which is not under the Title II regulation like traditional telephone networks. Mm -hmm. And messaging falls into that same camp, right? So I think we could all say that messaging is a great tool for us, not just peer-to-peer -peer between us and our friends, but between us and our businesses. It's a huge growing market in that regard. Um, it is not currently regulated. Uh, the FCC has signaled uh, interest and intent to potentially regulate messaging and VoIP more heavily. Um, there was a first order that came out of the FCC last year that was specifically targeting messaging. So I think there is uh, there is interest in expanding some of that coverage. I, I think about when you mentioned the Hill, that is a challenge um, I have with different issues, but with staff, they don't delineate the difference, right? The, the, the 10 number versus something else. And that's what I was thinking about VoIP is it's the way it's generated is completely different. You know, it's still getting into the same voice system or text system, you know, like you WhatsApp or Signal or all these other things that people are using. Or I mean, it was it, it, like 10 years ago when somebody told me that their their brother was in the military and they were using Facebook. And I didn't know people were using Facebook, you know, as a, a voice. And I was like, I just hadn't ever noticed that button down there because I didn't have any need for it. Uh, but there's all these ways that we do communicate, which makes this, again, I love your word tapestry, so much more complicated on making sure that everybody's you're trying to get everybody to play by the same rules but they come at it for different reasons so that's again my you, you make my point for me of when we try to get at the technology that doesn't always do the trick because you're trying to work on the outcome which is these annoying calls that are burdensome which are 
hurting everybody that's trying to use them. And, you know, phones have been used for promotion since the phone could ring. Um, it's not surprising that it's, you know, it does that, but there's the, it seems like we're so much more sophisticated. You should be able to narrow scope how much of that that you actually have to engage in. And we don't seem to be winning that battle. So that's why this topic's so fascinating. Yeah. I, I think when, when we talk about winning the battle, I think, um, I think we all feel the burden of these robocalls and robo messages. I think the same technology has enabled a lot of, um, of ease of use, a lot of efficiency. There's a huge amount of use cases that we all benefit from on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, as I've, you, know, you often talk about, with those good use cases come the bad ones, and right now we're trying to find the right balance. Um, and it requires, um, you know, friction... The right amount of friction is not bad. You just got to find the right balance. Meaning, like if you're vetting businesses before you allow them to send messages, you want you, you want there to be some resistance there, so the bad guys just can't use it, you know, ad hoc. Friction is not terrible, but friction has to be at the right balance. So right now, if you want to send text messages to your customers, and you want to use the same telephone number that you call them on, so they recognize the number, so that if you text me- text them and they want to call you, they just call you right back on that number. It can take two to three weeks to get approved for that. Um, so, so the industry is grappling with it, and we're making progress. But along the way, you know, these new vectors come up, and uh, and and like I said, there's no silver bullet. We just got to keep working on it. So, where are we headed next? What's going to be the big thing in 2024? What are you working on? So. I think what we're going to see over the next, if you don't mind me extending it, 12 to 24 months. I think sure. what we're really focused on right now is trying to weed out the bad guys, right? Identify the bad calls, identify the bad uh, texts, weed them out, stop them from ever reaching the consumer on the other end. The flip side of that is identifying the good guys. Those that have been vetted, they can be attested to by someone on the originating end. Businesses that use their numbers for calls, for text messages, they do this over a long period of time, they build a reputation. They're the ones that should be getting through, but they should also be getting preferential treatment on the network. So I think what we're going to see is a paradigm shift from really trying to weed out the bad guys to really rewarding the good guys. And, and it, sounds, it sounds straightforward. Businesses are starting to apply the same technology that the bad guys are because the bad guys are getting through. So one of the things I do is rotate numbers, right? I, I try to reach you on a text. You don't answer it. I try you on another text, on another number, or I try to call you on another number, and they rotate these numbers so that nobody's really sure where they are. And they, Legitimate businesses have started using that technique, right, because it can have some efficacy. What we're trying to encourage everyone is, like, do the right thing, behave in the right way, go through the, the steps that we're asking you to go through, and then build your reputation, right? And it's up to us as an industry to make sure that the friction is less, the reward is greater, the treatment is better for those good actors as opposed to really focusing on just weeding out the bad ones. So is there going to be a stage where, I mean, I, I, when I think about it, I think about how many different layers there could be to this like me as a consumer just understanding my device better there may be tools i'm not already using uh you know my carrier or my operator you know but again a lot of times i'm on wi-fi right so that isn't necessarily you know so like who's going to tell me that i have these tool sets which then says it gets set back even one more level which is really more what you're talking about is the business to business transaction of trying to make sure that the consumers are getting what makes sense and what 
it's, you know, and that's a fine line too, because people happily like being advertised to things that they want. And then as soon as they don't want it anymore, they're mad that the advertising comes through. Right. right. Um, so that's, it's a really, yeah, it's a really fascinating space there. Yeah. And I, look, I think the, 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 the longer term right solutions are solutions that are consistent across the ecosystem. They're not singularly sourced. So there was an announcement yesterday from one of the wireless operators that said, for branded calling, here's, here's our partner, here's our provider, but that only solves for their network. And from a business standpoint, I've now got to go to the other networks to do the same thing. So I think an ecosystem-based framework that allows competition but is consistent in, in behaviour and expectations will make things make life a lot easier for us as consumers and becoming educated and understanding some predictability and some consistency as opposed to being different wherever I go. And from a business, it's exactly the same. Yeah, I, it's going to be an interesting year. I, one of the things that we're running up against is a program that was created during COVID, the um, connectivity program, the ACP, is uh, for reasons of very arcane budget reasons is not going to most likely get renewed unless Congress really gets their act together. And what's frustrating about that is that it's shown to be very effective that, you know, there are the people that were not online for a re- whatever reason and it might have been financial or they just, you know, they found they found that they are now connected and this funding is going to drop out of underneath this. And so we've had a lot of discussions in the policy space with the people that are the providers about, you know, is there is there a way to tell this story better, and you, you've mentioned it several times during this uh, conversation, is that people, communications is at an all-time high. People are always attached to their phone. One of the reasons why you utilize that as a security mechanism is there's a pretty good chance it's within feet of me, you know, at all times. And if it isn't, I'm in a full-on panic, actually, if I don't know where my phone is. <laughs> my mom's like, I don't know. I couldn't find my phone. I'm like, I don't even, how, how was that? I don't even know what that feeling would be like not knowing where my phone is, except for panic. Uh, so I think you're going to see a lot of uh, um, interest in just like how to make sure we keep people connected. And that, again, reinforces the importance of trust, which you've mentioned many times. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, it is about trust. Uh, it's about trusting who's calling you and also that you're reaching the right person when you're reaching out to them either by voice or, or text. Um, I think uh, I think we're making progress. It's very slow. It's never as fast as you want. It does require that partnership between government and industry. I think there's a lot of good activities going on in the industry. One of the things that we do at Somos, because of our role, because we're trusted, because we're neutral, a big part of our, uh, our role in this ecosystem is bringing those people together. We had three bureau chiefs represented at one of our recent events, um, bringing them together, having that dialogue, sharing that information and trying to solve for this, that's what it's going to take. Well, I appreciate you being on the right side of this opportunity. So please stay in touch and thank you for being a guest today on Explain to Shane. Thanks for the opportunity, Shane. It's always good catching up with you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.